Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. I want to touch a kitten, Rosie says. Kittens and tigers are both cats, you know. <laughs> they go into the room, being careful to close the door quickly so nothing can get out. The mewing is loud inside the glass, as is the sound of children giggling. It's a whole other world inside, even though the only barrier to it had been transparent. This program features the work of 2012 writer Johanna Stoborak. She spoke with curator Sean Wong about her work. In your um, collection, you say that uh, one of the things that you're interested in is uh, physical forms, like one of your stories set in a corn maze, and how these physical forms impact the story or how you use that as part of the thematic structure of your story. Can you explain a little bit about that? Writing about the physical shapes in the landscape is a way to access stories that the landscape holds rather than held within me or imagined within me. So these physical structures have been places for me to look for narrative. And then they've also been places for asking questions. And I've been finding more and more that the stories are being written as answers to questions. Another story is, uh, takes place in an animal shelter. Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? The premise is that it takes place in an animal shelter um, at a birthday party, and it kind of couples the daughter's fear of animals with this desire to reach out and help these orphans that she sees everywhere. But then it also follows the father's kind of cynical understanding of what kind of help is actually be being given and the awareness that amidst all this cuteness and desire for help, there's death imminent everywhere. That's an intriguing premise in the sense that um, the symbol of that place means something to an adult, but something else completely different uh, that a child can't actually see. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's really true. And kind of the reading of symbols or the reading of signs is, is a large part of these stories and what a sign means to one person and what it means to another person and the problems that arise when the meanings clash. Now we'll hear a selection from Johanna's live reading. So I'm going to read the story that's in the anthology tonight. And um, it's a story called Shelter. Almost all the stories in the collection I'm working on are told in the first person from the mother of a family that the stories all revolve around the first person character of Allison but this story veers away from them and moves towards the relationship of the father and the family Elliot and his daughter Rosie so shelter Rosie has never wanted a puppy occasionally she mentions that kittens and pictures look cute but she's never asked for one she doesn't like fish she doesn't like hamsters she feeds the guinea pig at school, but she doesn't want to touch it. She loves the idea of birds, but when she once had the opportunity to let a budgie walk on her hand, she shrieked and ran out of the room. So it's with some nervousness that Elliot walks with her through the doors of the animal shelter. They're going to the shelter for a party, a birthday party for another five-year-old who is turning six. The invitation had paw prints on the front and bones next to each line of information. 
Rosie brought it home in her backpack and shoved it into his hand as soon as he walked through the door after work on Tuesday of last week. Why can't your mother take you, he'd said, and Allison had walked out of the room and shut the door behind her. Rosie has never had a birthday party like this. Her parties are ones where the kids are shoved into the backyard and told not to come inside unless they need to pee. Her, her parties involve magic markers set up on a picnic table and an ice cream cake and maybe next year a pinata. This party has taken planning. The kids were asked to bring presents for the animals and Rosie is carrying a bag of doggy treats with a big pink bow stuck to its side. She's wearing a striped dress and a headband that has tiger ears attached to it. She'd wanted him to paint on whiskers, but he hadn't been able to find Allison's eyeliner, and he certainly wasn't going to ask Allison where it was. From the way Rosie was dressed, he'd wondered if she thought she was going to the zoo. It is lovely outside in the parking lot, clear and windy, but with an edge of spring on its way. When the doors close behind them, the air changes. For Elliot, the smell is recognizable. It smells like the vet's office he used to bring his dog to when he was a kid, and also like the dog grooming place where his dog would get a bath and a haircut and come home looking bald and embarrassed. <laughs> it smells of a kind of cleanness that reminds you of the dirt that just got cleaned away. Maybe the smell is flea powder or a particular kind of animal shampoo. All the places he's ever been that handle cats and dogs have it as if the smell has built on itself over years more and more powder or shampoo until it would be impossible for the place to smell of anything else. Really, they should just open a window. So it's the smell that hits him first. But once he's used to that, he can't believe it wasn't the sounds that hit him instantly. They're not terrible sounds, just barking and whirring kinds of sounds, but they're constant. Puppies wagging their tails, kittens falling off climbing trees, purring, yipping, tiny nails scraping on the floor. He shivers. He looks at Rosie. She is standing very tall, and he wonders which animal she thinks she's going to give her present to. They're late. Of course they're late. Elliot generally gets everywhere on time, but throw a kid into the mix, and there's never any question but that some unexpected delay will occur. Today it was the tiger ears. Rosie said they were on her dresser, but it turns out they were really under her bed. They couldn't leave without them. It took 20 minutes to figure out where they were. Anyway, the tour has started, and they have to rush to catch up, and all the little girls have already put their presents into some kind of holding area, but Elliot doesn't know where it is, and Rosie doesn't know where it is, and she clutches the bag to her chest just the way she clutches her stuffed tiger to her chest at night. There are six little girls. One of them might be a boy. Elliot can't tell. He thinks he remembers Rosie telling him something about one of her friends having a twin brother. Their mother's trail behind them. Elliot is the only father, other than the father of the birthday girl. The birthday father looks at him sympathetically. But Elliot is not sure what the sympathy is about. Is it that they're so outnumbered by the mothers? Or is it that they have to spend any time here at all? Or is it a general look of sympathy about all the animals without homes living behind glass walls and sleeping in cages? Is it about all the animals so young they don't even know that it's a home they're hoping for? 
Or is it sympathy for what he's certain will be a daughter begging for a puppy by the end of the party? <laughs> Elliot isn't sure, but he shrugs his shoulders and nods his head. A woman from the shelter leads them through. She is tall and blonde, but not in a sexy way. Elliot wishes she were sexy, and then wonders what is wrong with him, that he's at a birth <laughs> that he's at a birthday party at an animal shelter, <laughs> wishing the woman who worked there was hot. <laughs> She's wearing a uniform that looks like a mechanic's jumper. It's dark blue, and Elliot thinks he sees paw prints on her leg. Maybe they're just dirt and not part of her uniform at all. These days, the accuracy of his vision fails him all the time. She takes them to the adult dogs first. They're mangy and sad, and Rosie won't even go into the room where they're kept. After that, they go to the room with the puppies. I have a surprise, the woman says. It's playtime. Yeah. An assistant comes in holding six little dogs, a puppy for each of the kids. The room fills with yipping, and the girls are smiling like they're in a movie about girls playing with puppies. <laughs> and the puppies squirm and leap and nip and cuddle. Only Rosie isn't dealing well. She edges to the back wall, and Elliot picks her up. He's holding her like she's his very own nestling puppy. And she's whimpering just like a little dog, and he's worried that if she stays as scared as she is, she'll pee on him, just like that other puppy just peed on the birthday girl. <laughs> he tries to smile and say that everything's OK. He's managed to get them through the door by now, and they are, there they are, outside, looking through the big glass window from the hallway. Rosie, Elliot says, Rosie, they're just puppies. You don't need to be afraid. I'm not afraid, she says. Then what's going on? He asks. If Allison could see him now, she'd applaud his patience. I just don't like them. It tried to bite me. Are you sure? Puppies use their teeth to play. I'm sure, she says. It was doing it on purpose. And that's that. What difference does it make, Elliot thinks, if something tries to bite you or if you just think it did? Doesn't it all add up the same? Doesn't it all get us outside here in the hall? looking in but not touching. The party moves from the puppies to the kittens, but Elliot and Rosie stay out in the hall. She's heavy in his arms. The bag of doggy treats adds to her weight. She whimpers into his neck, but her whimpering has changed, and he suspects she's smiling. He can't see for sure, though, because her face is so close it's become blurry. The kittens swarm around their room, climbing on carpeted posts. They have cages they live in, but they get a few stints of playtime every day. There's a gray-striped kitten and an orange kitten and two black kittens with white patches on their throats and a number of tortoiseshell types. They're cute. Elliot thinks he wouldn't mind holding one if he could just put Rosie down. He thinks about Allison this morning and the noise of the dishes as she unloaded the dishwasher. Was it extra loud? Was there some kind of message she was sending the way she closed the cabinets with some special kind of force? Was there something he was supposed to understand from the way she slipped out of bed without turning to him and the way the shower rushed down far away beyond the bedroom wall? You take her, Allison said. It's your day. I don't see why I should always be the one to take the kids to parties. He understood what she was saying, but still, there was some kind of betrayal there that he couldn't quite put his finger on. 
I want to touch a kitten, Rosie says. Kittens and tigers are both cats, you know. <laughs> they go into the room, being careful to close the door quickly so nothing can get out. The mewing is loud inside the glass, as is the sound of children giggling. It's a whole other world inside, even though the only barrier to it had been transparent. Elliot puts Rosie down. Rosie bends down to touch a kitten. Elliot prepares to smile, and Rosie turns to him. Her face should be open. Her face should be filled with wonder. A kitten has jumped into her arms. But the look that she gives him is of such overwhelming panic that he scoops her up without thinking and runs with her into the hall. It scratched me, she screams. Let me see, he says. I'm scared, she says. This time I'm scared. She is a tiny scratch, a thin red mark on the inside of her arm. She screams and screams, and the woman in the blue jumpsuit comes running, and the little girls line up against the glass in the kitten playroom and stare, and the doggy treats drop to the floor, and Elliot doesn't know what to do. Where is Allison, he thinks. Where is she? Where is my wife? How am I here alone? Rosie screams, the girls watch and point, and the kittens continue playing and mewing. The party ends in the lobby of the shelter. The birthday girl opens cards and hands over presents to the shelter lady. At least one parent is trying to talk her daughter out of a hoped-for adoption. The girl, who Elliot is now sure is a boy, tosses a squeaky ball from hand to hand and resists his mother when she tells him it's time to give the ball away. Rosie has forgotten her fear now that she is no longer faced with its cause. The orphans are down the hall, separated by several doors instead of just a sheet of glass. Elliot can still hear their cries, but he can't see them. I need shelter, he thinks. I need a place of comfort and food and love from strangers. Where is my home? When will someone, come, someone choose me? What did you think, Elliot asked Rosie on their way out to the car. It was okay, she says. I thought there would be monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shelter, he says. It's not a zoo. I'd rather go to a zoo, she says. I'd rather go someplace where you don't have to touch anything. She is still wearing her tiger ears. He sometimes thinks of her as a little animal, fierce and moved by instinct. We are all animals, he thinks. We hide our claws and we hide our teeth, but we are still governed by desire and fear. He buckles her into her seat. When he bends over, he can smell the shelter on her skin. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2012 curator of this program is Sean Wong. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, and Mo Preventure. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by Rachel Matthews, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>